You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. chapter 10 again verses 1 through 12 we'll be reading the same as last week looking maybe at a different bit of a different angle but mark chapter 10 verses 1 through 12 i'll read it again for us but first uh, we'll show a picture uh, she's not in here in the nursery but maybe she'll hear me madeline i uh, had one of two pictures this week madeline was this one hey art of marriage that's going on Okay, in case you hadn't heard. All right. And uh, she did a great picture there, so appreciate that. Appreciate what uh, any kids in here. There's a few in here, isn't there? There's some. So, yeah, and uh, what you have to draw today. Let's read God's Word. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 again. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? You remember from last week, we looked at this, verse 4. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Ask his help for understanding. Lord, we just look to you right now in the moments we have together. That you would illuminate and make clear your word before us. Make clear Jesus words, making them male and female joining together into one flesh, husband and wife. Lord, I pray we'd have a biblical understanding today of that principle, of that command of Scripture, of Your desire since creation. Lord, help our own marriages as we contemplate what we're hearing today. May You strengthen and guide our own marriages. Those looking to get into marriage, may You give them wisdom. Those struggling in marriage, may you uphold them by your great love as we've sang about. May you work by your spirit amongst us through your word right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we like to hear the words from the preacher at the end of a end of a wedding. I believe it goes something like, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And sometimes you'll hear what God has joined together, let no man separate. We've seen that here in the book of Mark. And then the preacher would say, you may kiss the bride. But what newlyweds Jimmy and Susie, just arbitrary names, what they may not be aware of is that they have just married a fellow sinner. 
It's the title of one of my favorite books on marriage uh, by a guy named Dave Harvey. It's called When Sinners Say I Do. I just I love the title of it. I'll quote from it later on here. But acknowledging this, realizing this, that two sinners have married one another will hopefully lead Jimmy and Susie back to the one who designed marriage and who can rescue two sinners in their marriage. Last week, we looked at this passage of, on marriage. We looked at the maybe the more negative aspects of divorce and remarriage. That in creation, since the beginning, God's design was oneness for life. Today, we're going to head back uh, to this passage and really back to the beginning as well. We've dealt with the question of divorce and remarriage some last week. We want to look again at these words of Jesus and specifically as he brings this conversation back to the beginning of creation and look at God's design in this. So I want to encourage you today, those that are currently married or thinking about marriage, the question is, what area, what is it God would have you individually grow in or be changed based on His Word? The temptation through any study on marriage, or most, let me say, is to kind of think, my wife needs to hear this. Or, I, I hope my husband is taking notes. Or, so-and-so needs to hear this, that sort of thing. I just want you to, to listen and say, what, Lord, what do I need to hear about your intentions, your design for marriage from the beginning, and, and any hope we have since the fall that we talked about last week? What do you have for me in our marriage? How can you grow? Um, any kids in here that are not married... And I hope you're not. I don't think you are yet. Uh, if you're listening to this, this is for you too. I want you to be thinking about a future wife or a future husband. That might seem gross right now. That's, that's okay. Just, just bear with that. What would you like to see in a future wife or husband? More, more than beauty, physical things, more than the way they talk or how you feel around, around them. I want you to think on matters of the heart. What kind of heart? Do you want to look for in a future husband or wife? So let's look more closely at Jesus' words here in Mark 10. Really going to take us back to God's good and perfect design in creation. We're going to look at two aspects if you're into note taking, just kind of under these two general headings. One is the God ordained design. So the God ordained design of mankind. He makes them male and female. We're going to look at that first God's ordained design of male and female. And then secondly, we're going to look at God's ordained oneness in marriage. The joining of the two to become one. So those two things, God ordained the design, male and female. He ordained the oneness, the two becoming one flesh. So look at Mark uh, 10, just verse 6. As Jesus talks to these Pharisees, he says, The hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. But from, verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Let's jump off from there and head back again to the book of Genesis. And we find these beginning creation words in chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. So if you'll head back, the bulk of our time is really going to be spent here in Genesis, uh, kind of branching off from Mark to head back here again as Jesus takes us back to the beginning. Genesis uh, 1, 
Let me start at verse 26 and I'll read through 28. Listen to God's design here. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God ordains this beginning, this design of male and female. They both share this image of God, but they are both unique. I said here, they share the image of God. They share this image bearing. This does not mean we are little gods, but there are characteristics we have that are like God, or you might say attributes we have in common. We think, God thinks, He has a mind. We love, we create, so on. We speak. But we are also not like God. We're not all-powerful or all-knowing. Sometimes we think we are. We're not. We're like God, but we're not God. So mankind was to be on earth, really the on earth representative of God, not God himself. But as verse 28 says, filling the earth, having dominion over it. The ESV study Bible points out this aspect of relationship within that, that mankind represents God. But through being like God can, as they say, man can establish worthy relationships with God, with one another, and with the rest of creation. I kind of put it in three R's here. Of how, If you ever wonder, what is this? How are we imaged like God? They talk about resemblance. We're like, we carry some of the some similar attributes, though we are not God, all-powerful like we said. We carry some of those. A resemblance. We're His representative. So we're His representative to the world. We're not God, but we're here to represent who God is. It's a, the beginning foundation to bear His image, to be like a representative. Uh, and then also the, the third are relationship. There's relationship between us and our maker, between us and one another, between us and creation to have dominion over. There's this relation going on. But what makes male and female unique? He said we're both made in the image. But what makes them unique? And for this, we go forward a little bit to Genesis 2. 15. If Genesis 1 is kind of the overview of creation, 2.15 is like magnifying glass, takes us back into this creation of male and female. It's not a separate, it's not a afterwards, it's the same event just brought into greater almost uh, focus on uh, the creation of man and woman here. So look at Genesis 2.15. The uniqueness of man says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Here's this man made to work, work in the garden amongst God's creation and also to protect it. You might have in your Bible the, the word keep it. It's a word that can also mean to guard or preserve. So Adam, we've got his two kind of his two mandates here. Again, each 
man and woman sharing the image, have dominion. But man, you're in the garden. You need to work it and guard, protect, keep it. Representing the Creator, bearing His image, and then protecting it. And there was one command. Verses 16 through 17 give that one command to not eat. You all know this. Allow, uh, verses 16 and 17, they allow the man to eat of every tree in the garden, but not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eating of this tree is going to bring death. One command, work, guard, but one tree, don't eat. There's one command. There's also one more thing going on. And there's one more thing for the man that was not good, and that's verse 18. Look at, then the Lord God said, I'll just read part of verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. He's to work, protect, don't eat from that tree, but one thing not good, he's alone. The Hebrew word for alone here, you find this interesting, is pronounced bod. Uh, and I agree, it is bod to be alone. If you hear what that's saying, that's not what the Hebrews are telling you, but the word for alone is bod. And it was it was bad. It was not good for this man to be alone. And so God creates a woman. So man is unique. Work and protect. Now the woman. Again, the woman created in the image of God. So too, she bears that image, not just the man. She's his representative to this world. She's in relationship with him, her husband, creation. But her role is then given in the second part of verse 18 for the man. Uh, it says, I will make him a helper fit for him. So it's bad that the man's alone. God says, I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 18 describes as God's intention to make this helper. And we find out later in a few verses there that ultimately this helper will be the, the woman who he made from man. Well, what about this word helper? It's an interesting word because of its other uses. Um, one resource talks about its use. It says this word used for helper here generally indicates military assistance. What a neat way to think of wives as a military assistant in a, some sort of battle. Or going, maybe the husband is the protector, the assistant to that. Um, but there's this idea of assistance or besides or we. To, uh, a helper. Now it gets gets more interesting. This is what's amazing. You know who else in Scripture is referred to as a helper? It's God. It says this in Psalm 121, right? I lift up my eyes to the hills, mountains. From where does my help come from? In Scripture, God fulfills this role as helper to man. You can find it elsewhere, Psalm 27, Psalm 54, 118. Same Hebrew word here. So that this good design of God to make a helper fit for man, it doesn't carry with it a, an idea of a lesser valued one. For, for God is a helper to man. But that there's a role. We see both male and female. They were created in the image of God, but the roles are different. And Genesis 2 brings this out. The man to work and protect. The woman, a helper fit for the man. But, chapter 3 comes along. Sin enters the world. And all of what we've just talked about, 
that image, that purpose, the creation, the roles were compromised so that man no more and woman no longer bore fruit in righteousness, but creation suffered corruption. Romans really echoes the accounts of Genesis. I'll just read some to you from Romans chapter 1. It it really echoes this Genesis account as sin infiltrated mankind. It says this in Romans one twenty one that although they, and as we're jumping in, you might say, who's the they? It's the ungodly and unrighteous, which is, Romans is going to say, it's all of mankind. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they came became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You remember Jesus speaking about the hardness of heart. Later on in Romans, in chapter 1, it says, their women, so listen to the fall of Genesis 3 and the exchange and the change of what God designed and sin's effect on that design. Uh, It says this, their women exchanged natural... Think of natural before the fall. This is how God designed it. They exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Question. How do we know, as we're talking about male and female in marriage, how do we know homosexuality is wrong. We could say, yes, the Bible tells us so throughout scriptures we could use. But we also see here it fails the most the most basic mandate of mankind on the earth to be fruitful and multiply. It fails in this creation ordinance, what God intended to have happen, his purposes in creation. And so homosexuality, along with Every other vile thing, every other sin that comes along came as men exchanged worship of God for worship of creature and really self at the heart of it. So in Genesis 3, as you're in 2, you look over 3, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobeyed their God. They incurred the penalty of sin. They ate from the tree they were commanded not to eat from. And this divine and perfect order of man as worker and protector, woman as helper, it was marred by sin. Work for the man was now filled with thorns and thistles and sweat on the brow. Instead of protecting the garden, man was silent while the serpent deceived. And man continues right to struggle to lead when called upon. We'd rather maybe somebody else. We'll just silently maybe go along with it. Women too who were to still fulfill the mandate to multiply, now experience pain in bearing children. Women who were to come alongside to help their husband would even desire to lead and rule, even though that was to be the man's role in a right way. Are you getting a picture in marriage and what we're talking about today, what we're up against naturally in this world? Romans 3 says, None are righteous. Familiar passage. No, not one. So apply this to marriage. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. The hard-heartedness of mankind, it's affected creation and it's affected each and every marriage. In our case, male and female. 
So think about that. But let's look at one more section in Genesis. Back to chapter 2. We left off at uh, 18. And here Jesus, remember back in Mark, Jesus reminds the Pharisees, he does remind them, God made them male and female. But he also reminds them of this uh, really uh, last part of Genesis 2 as well. I'm going to start in verse 19 and just read uh, towards 22 and towards the end here. Let me read this again. We read this last week. but So now we're back before the fall here. Here's, here's God. He makes not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper. Now verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. I think there's the idea of here... Man's on the lookout for a helper. What, whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So, does Adam work here? No. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. In the midst of Adam sleeping here, God provides. He provides the exact right helper for this man, the woman. And God brings this woman to the man. And here's his response in verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In other words, he's naming all these animals, but this is it. This is the one I've been looking for. Men, can you say this of your wife? This is what I was looking for. Maybe you need to say for us, because we're post-fall, we're post Maybe you need to say, this is not what I was looking for, but praise God, this one, my wife, this is what I need. She is exactly what I need. For the marriage you are currently in is a one-flesh union orchestrated by God, what God has joined together. You have what you need. God's perfect provision, though It may not look that way on certain days. God's perfect provision for you is sitting right next to you. They're here with you. I didn't say they were perfect, but God is. And so is his spouse for you. She, he is exactly what you need. That's huge to get our mind around that. Because I think we often say, yeah, certain days, yes. Other days, I'm not sure. I thought I needed something else. I needed a different tone. I need somebody to to be better at this or do this differently. But to say, God, this is who you've provided. This shall be called my wife. This is the one I'm looking for. Thank you, Lord. Look on verse 24 and 25. Conclude this. Therefore, so he sees, calls the woman, she's taken out a man. Therefore, because of this, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You hear Jesus' words here? 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
Just to look at verse 24, a man shall leave. There is a time for a man to head out on his own, create a new family for the man and the woman to be joined, to leave family, to be joined together in oneness. The man is also to hold fast to his wife. The word can mean here, uh, leave his father and mother, hold fast. word might be cling or stick to. And then the two shall become one flesh. They shall become one. God's original design, that's what we're reading here. His original design for marriage, for man and woman, husband and wife, was oneness. When she hurts, I hurt. When he is joyful, you are joyful, and so on. This is what God meant to take place. But again, the next chapter stands right beside this Genesis 3. Comes along, the serpents, did God really say, don't eat? The woman and the man disobey God, and the world is plunged into sin. And the corruption of sin affects this oneness. Where man was to leave father and mother, now maybe he doesn't leave. He continues to be loyal to mom and dad and wife. Or vice versa. Where man was to hold fast and cling to his wife, now maybe he clings to work. It's way less irritating. People like me at work. I'm not feeling that joy at home. Or he clings to his sports or hobbies or anything. Maybe he clings to images of other women who excite him more than what God's given him. Perhaps his wife, you see the sins effect? Perhaps his wife clings closer to her own friends. Maybe telling them her personal needs instead of being one with her husband. Or clings to somebody else's romance through a book or a movie or finds in another man what is missing, what her provision does not provide. So where man and woman were to be one, they now drift to what's easiest, what's most convenient, what requires little work, and above all, meets their needs first. Self becomes first in line when it comes to serving. And every day, hearts are drawn apart from oneness and God's design. Back in Mark 10, verse 9, Jesus concludes this journey back into Genesis, and he concludes with these words. Kind of on to verse 24 as we saw in Genesis. Uh, Let me get back to it here. Mark 10, verse 9. Jesus says this. In verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God has ordained a oneness for marriage, But as we have said, sin has marred, corrupted, and influenced this oneness. I hope we're seeing in Scripture here God's design for male and female. His design for oneness. It was good. And sin's effect on that. Here's what Dave Harvey says in his book, When Sinners Say I Do. And he says this about sin. And this kind of segues from our corruption to our hope. Listen to what he says. So this sin... My sin and yours is supremely ugly. It is vile. It is wicked. But at the same time, it is the backdrop to a larger drama. We may be works in progress who are painfully prone to sin, yet we can be joyful works for, thanks be to God, 
We have been redeemed by grace through the death and resurrection of Christ. Our Savior has come to rescue us from the penalty of sin and grant us an abundant life by His Spirit. As two people in marriage embrace this view of reality and live in accordance with it, their lives and marriage begin to look more and more like the picture God wants to display to a lost word. It brings us back to that original image, resemblance, representative relationship. He ends by saying, until sin be bitter, marriage may not be sweet. In Jesus, as we have seen in the book of Mark, the Son of God comes to restore and bring the kingdom of God near. And here in marriage. Through Christ, creation is being restored. Men and women in Christ are restored to their purpose of imaging God to the world He created. How does the gospel impact our marriages? I just thought of some. This isn't an exhaustive list. But as we are Christ's new creation, as, as we understand the gospel and come by faith and repentance to Christ, trusting in Him alone, we're renewed by His Spirit, how does that impact our marriages? Here are some thoughts. We become aware of God who ordains marriage and say, Lord, how do I obey you? We take Genesis 1 and 2 seriously and say, Lord, if this is your plan, then I want to be under your plan as a child of God. We become aware of our own wretchedness. We become aware and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am the worst of sinners in need of a Savior. My wife, my husband, he is no longer the worst of sinners I'll take that title and I'll look to you. We become free from guilt. So we talked about our wretchedness, but our freedom from guilt to serve without shame. Lord, I'm free from my past sins. Even those sins of this morning on the car ride to church or wherever it is, Lord, you can forgive and I can move on and I can seek forgiveness from my spouse and move on in the grace of Jesus. And so in the gospel, we become forgiving for we have been forgiven of God. As we've been forgiven, we must forgive. How else does the gospel bring hope? We become hopeful in our Savior, not our spouse. In other words, my deepest needs are not met by her alone or him alone. He cannot meet all those needs. My Savior is Jesus. And that changes, right? It's not doesn't lay the burden on our spouse to be that, to uphold us all the time and, and do all this for us. We say, Lord, I've got a Savior. It's Jesus. It's not my spouse. Though they, we want them to point us, those sorts of things. Another one, we become empowered by the Spirit. He convicts and guides and changes our heart. And so we become one. So displaying to the world, really, a powerful witness of the gospel of Jesus who has become one with his bride. And that's what marriage is, isn't it? Ephesians 5 is going to talk about that. That picture of the gospel. That unconditional love Jesus gave for his bride, the church. And that's what our marriages are to image and represent. That the world would see, not just see two people, you've been together so long, wonderful. No, we want them to see this is a work of God 
And this, this marriage is, this, is, is a reference, a witness to the gospel of what Jesus does with sinners to unconditionally love them and call them His own and we are one with Christ. A couple thoughts for some different groups maybe here this morning. For those unmarried at this time, you're thinking about marriage. My question to you is, what are you looking for? If you desire oneness, find one who is in Christ. If you or they have not Christ, if He is not by His Spirit changing the both of you, transforming you into His image, what what, what do you have together? Well, you have two individuals who are maybe romantically in love, but without a change of heart by God are really in love with one person themselves. This doesn't mean two believers who are married act wonderfully, but they have something different. Radically altered hearts by the Spirit. Let me encourage you, find someone with a heart sold out for Jesus and you'll find someone to grow old with. For those married, perhaps here to one who does not claim Christ as Savior. Paul offers this encouragement. I'll read from him and I'll read from Peter. He offers this encouragement at 1 Corinthians 7. If you're writing it down, it's 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 17. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. I don't think this means those are made believers. They're, made, they're regenerate in Christ because of the wife. But the, the essence of the home and the essence of the being of that believing person in the home affects the home towards holiness. I'll continue. Uh, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. We don't know if that unbelieving husband or wife will be saved. But for the believing one, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.1. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Remember Hans and Star, if you saw the video from last week, that Star was really won over by her husband and seeing this attractiveness of Jesus in her husband. That's the encouragement of Peter here. To win them over, not by come on to church or, or do this or I wish you were that, that sort of thing. But it's winning them over by a conduct of Christ. Serving, loving unconditionally. When it's hard, bearing witness to Jesus. And then lastly, for those here that are currently married. To the husbands, to the wives. It, it is fitting this is the week of Valentine's. I didn't plan that until I was thinking, oh, it is Valentine's, Wednesday. 
Here's a question for your Valentine's time together that might be hard but helpful. Is there an area in your marriage where maybe you've not physically separated, but your oneness is being challenged or separated, or there is not a oneness that you see? Maybe physically you're together, but lacking the oneness. Where you, you individually, husband, wife, where you've not been part of God's design for you to leave and hold fast to your husband or wife and be one. Uh, guys or gals, if you can't think of something and say, I think we're doing all right, here's my t- test for you, if you dare. Take your notes or your bulletin and give them to your spouse. And say, where do you think we're not one? How would you answer this for me? Is there an area where you feel I've separated or you don't feel there's a oneness here? And then let me encourage you, if you do that now or this afternoon or sometime or on your Valentine's Day, just to listen. Don't argue, just listen and hear. Wow, I didn't know that. I needed to hear that. Don't, don't retort. We don't need to fight back. Well, see, I'm doing that. No, just be willing to listen and hear. And say, how are we not one? I want to be one. I want to do God's plan. We need the Lord. This is going to sound like a plug because it is. I want you to come to the Art of Marriage. If you need help, if you need prayer, if kids are an issue, talk to somebody in a bright shirt today and say, pray for me. Come. This is what this weekend is about. Is this God's design for marriage to make it beautiful? I hope you can come. I hope you take that flyer. Give it to somebody else. Why don't we pray together here? And just, I'm going to take just a minute or two to be silent up here and to give option because sometimes in the moment it's good for us just to deal with our Lord. We deal with Him first. David talks about it's, it wasn't, wasn't necessarily his sin horizontally. It was his sin before the Lord. Guys, is there, is there a oneness issue going on? Have you found joy in somebody else besides a wife? And I don't mean just a physical affair. Women, have you drifted from oneness towards your husband in some area? I'm just going to invite you to bring that before the grace of the Lord Jesus. Confess it and be forgiven. Take a minute to examine your hearts. Paul speaks at the end of chapter 7 in Romans, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? But thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
Lord, though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Guide us as husbands. Guide the wives that are here whom have been forgiven much to show much mercy and forgiveness. Lord, reveal areas where our oneness is being attacked by our own sin, by the world around us. Lord, give us eyes to see that. And when our spouse points it out to us, help us to hear it and be willing to listen and say, Lord, you spoke. You've convicted. Help me to change. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this place that we would be a light to the world of the gospel of two people that should not stay together, but they will because they're one in Christ and they see your desire, Lord, for oneness. Lord, guide us as we go out from here and we face the distraction of our own sinfulness that we would again run back to the cross and that you by your spirit would guide and direct and empower our marriages to bear your image to this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.